salutations, world. This is Cream City Culture, the podcast, where we explore the people that are the foundation of the Cream City. This podcast series is homegrown and the viewpoints uniquely Milwaukee. Each episode will feature a change maker from our backyard that will give you the history and the future of our city. I'm your host, Ebony Siley. I'm a nationally known creative, but I'm your Brew City bestie. I'm so excited to be able to host Cream City Culture, which is really about having real conversations, real culture. And this is something that is exclusively Milwaukee. I could not think of a better way to start this podcast than to connect with one of Milwaukee's legends, really, and shine a light on the work, the artists, the entertainment that is in Bronzeville Entertainment District because it's Bronzeville Week. So I present to you Mutope Johnson. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Ebony, how are you doing? Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Indeed. Can you just give us a brief introduction of who you are and what you bring to the art space? Well, my name is uh, Mutope J. Johnson. Uh, I'm a visual artist and, and of course, I've done uh, art instruction. I used to also teach at the University of Wisconsin uh, Whitewater. I've done that for seven years. So I teach a variety of things. I were actually uh, considering having to have worn uh, two hats at one point with a uh, background in um, marketing and advertising, uh, which is how I would say over the years that you learn to kind of navigate creative spaces and you can uh, have a job that pays the bills. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, of course, uh, parallel to that, I've also worked as a, as a visual artist professionally exhibiting in uh, museums and galleries. I'd say for most of my professional career. Uh, and th- that's it kind of in a nutshell. I mean, there's so much more in between. And I think that we can touch upon that at some point. Absolutely. Your artwork is really some of the most visually stunning work that I've experienced. And I consider myself a museum nerd to travel whenever, mm-hmm. what city I pop up in, I am definitely going to museums and restaurants just to take in the culture. Because Mm -hmm. your artwork is so distinct, can you kind of tell us how Mm -hmm. you came about those themes and and the way you create art? Well, one of the things that when I first began down this process, I wasn't quite sure where this visual arts path would take me. But in the early years when I was trying to find a visual voice, part of doing that is doing some research. And I spent a good part of, I'd say, two years doing exactly that. I would go to museums, I would go to galleries, and I would study and research the work that other artists were doing. And uh, I know that I needed to have uh, some sort of distinctive narrative to set myself apart from everyone else. And so it started off that I was doing these what I considered chronological portraits of people experimenting with different pigment tones and, and colors, but also themes that specifically were related to African American history. And, and that was kind of the impetus for what would ultimately become my voice. And so as I was doing that, you know, a couple of breakthroughs happened. One, when I was working in sepia tone and I was doing these um, images of African-Americans to celebrate them, uh, people like Athea Gibson and Jesse Owens, and there was uh, so, so many others, um, Marian Anderson, the Tuskegee Airmen, and just the history alone was enough to piqued my interest. And those were my, what I consider my early sepia tone drawings. Um, then after that, I thought, well, I, maybe I needed something more. I needed a, 
little bit more of a narrative that would give me, you know, a bit more depth. So my family and I decided to, to take a trip to South Carolina. And I was still kind of playing around with different pigment tones of uh, my paintings. And uh, we went to South Carolina and my wife came to me and said, well, you know, let's go to this, this plantation, you know, to, um, you know, give the kids some, some background and, and, and for ourselves learn to see, you know, what uh, the, the South had to offer. Um, there was a, a historic plantation called the, let's see, it was the Magnolia Plantation. And, and I kind of turned to my wife and was like, well, you know, I really didn't come all the way to the South to go to the plant, go back on the plantation. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, you know, one thing led to the next. And I, of course, I agreed. I thought, okay, for educational purposes, it'd be good for the wife and kids and myself. And, and lo and behold, when I got there, I realized that um, on this uh, plantation, it uh, was famously known for three different crops. And uh, rice was one. Indigo was another one. And so if you're familiar with the indigo plant, and then I'll kind of segue it just to let you know. The other one was rice. And so though with those three crops, the one that really piqued my interest the most was indigo because I had been playing around with the color blue, the pigment blue. And that was how it started. And so once I realized how much of a, a strength there was in the, the pigment indigo, you know, just the the ancient history of it leading up to where we are in our understanding of the color blue. And then that really triggered everything. After that, it was just the history of the blues and then how it really kind of indicated to me so many other stories. And so it opened up this treasure trove of diving into stories with referencing the color blue. And so that gave me my very beginning to be able to create narratives that uh, would give me a, a long history of being able to tell stories about our people in a way that was connected to a color that uh, people around the world are familiar with. And then there's so much more. Um, and, and those sort of weave its way into how I contemporize uh, those stories for today. And I'll tell you, when I first, like, I, I remember the very first pieces that I, I had seen from you with this indigo. Mm -hmm. It was where we first connected, which was for a local publication here. I was working in mm -hmm. graphics. You were our creative director. Mm -hmm. And I remember opening one of your pieces and just going, this is beautiful. Like the work is beautiful. Yeah. These people are beautiful and these black yeah. people are beautiful. So yeah. you were able to introduce art in a way that we had seen kind of these people before, but never in this light. And Speaking of that, when we think about Bronzeville, it's one of those places in Milwaukee where we drive through it, we've seen it, but there's a resurgence that's coming and it's, it's allowing us to look at Bronzeville in a different light. So can you just kind of talk about your nod to some of the entertainment artists, musical artists that have come through Bronzeville that you've allowed us to look at in a different light? Well, one of the things I'd like to share is the fact that I was, uh, of course, born and raised in Bronzeville. And of course, I would be dating myself, but, you know, I was in I was present in Bronzeville when Bronzeville was uh, basically in its heyday. So when we think about the 50s and, and 60s, that was uh, pretty much what my life uh, was. And so in terms of being a character witness of <laughs> Bronzeville, it really gave me 
the firsthand witness knowledge of what it was like to play in the streets, mm -hmm. to hear the stories, to know the neighbors, to know the stores, to know, you know, what it was like to live and breathe the air in Brownsville. And so, of course, you know, that became so much more information for me later on when I spent time in grad school, uh, really trying to write the history, trying to write the history of, of Bronzeville through my um, thesis. And so the thesis turned into a visual uh, arts presentation for my final exhibition. And so all of that really uh, led up to uh, my experiences. And so when you think about um, some of the work that you might see of mine that is focused on Bronzeville, it primarily chronicles, just as you mentioned, artists who may have performed there, Billie Holiday, Cap Calloway, Louis Armstrong. And those individuals, of course, would travel to Milwaukee, uh, sometimes by train, sometimes by bus. And they couldn't stay downtown, so they would stay in homes in Bronzeville. And so it just so happened that uh, a dear friend of mine, who also was a gallery owner, owned a, a home and a gallery in Bronzeville called the Greer Oaks Gallery. And Calvin Greer was one of those brothers that actually uh, allowed artists to come and show in his place. And we shared that with the public. And the very house that Calvin lived in became like known as the Palmer House Hotel. And that's where a lot of those musicians lived and stayed. And so uh, Calvin got to know uh, all the artists in town. And so many of us were, I'd say, commissioned by Calvin to actually do images of those individuals who would have stayed there. And so uh, we literally took panels that were the same size panels that he had in the ceiling. And then we did images of, of those uh, artists and performers. And then Calvin actually installed them in the ceiling. So we refer to it as the, the Black 16 Chapel of Bronzeville. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, you know, so, love that. Yeah. Yeah. So with those stories, of course, with uh, the visitation of uh, what I consider entertainment dignitaries like, uh, you know, Bill Halliday and the like, uh, those became the, those, those stories that stuck with me. And so what I began to do is introduce others, like Satin Doll and, man, there, there's just so many others that I, that I focus on. Um, and uh, the, but the idea is to reintroduce them to a generation who may be unfamiliar with, because keep in mind, a lot of the history of Brownsville was not you know, highly documented the way that many of us would like. And we are now exploring some of the new authors and some of the new profiles on the Brownsville, the way it was. And, and as we use that as a launching pad to enter into the 21st century Brownsville, we get a chance to. Um, to reintroduce themes uh, that are related to Bronzeville transformation. And I, and I uh, currently uh, am doing that. So in fact, a show of, uh, of mine uh, just that I share actually opened up at the jazz gallery on center street. So if you go to the jazz gallery center for the arts, you'll see that Della Wells, Evelyn, Patricia, Terry, Munir, uh, Buhardin and myself are featured in a, an exhibition that is currently up and running until I believe August 19th, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, you'll get a chance to see some of my work there. And that is part of my Bronzeville series. I love that. We'll make sure we get a link uh, plugged into the podcast for that show. So listeners can connect with that. One thing you brought up was this art is a tool. And I think it's a beautiful sentiment in the way that we just 
promoted Bronzeville Week this year. So Bronzeville Week 2022 was promoted with one of your beautiful images. And I said yes. to myself as it, as it came across my desk, I'm like, oh, we can we can utilize this graphic. It's amazingly beautiful. But I know that there's a story behind it because you are one of those artists that thinks deeply, feels deeply, and then puts that onto canvas. So I was so right. excited to learn the story behind the graphic. So can you just share a little bit about where that came from? Yeah, that image that uh, I'm thankfully and thankful and grateful that you were able to really take it and transform it into a, uh, a useful communication device. Let me put it that way. Uh, that image is of Frank Morgan. And Frank Morgan is of course, a famous jazz musician who lives in, in, uh, in Milwaukee, uh, but Frank Morgan is also uh, internationally known. Uh, he is uh, the, the cousin of, of, of Manti Ellis, who is another famously known guitarist who happened to be a Milwaukee bass musician. And, uh, you know, this, this, as the story goes, uh, you know, I used to frequent the jazz clubs to, to do my research for my paintings, and I always tried to find a very different way of depicting those individuals. And so with this, this one day, I ended up getting a call from a local jazz club owner who knew that I loved jazz and I had frequent the club to, uh, to take reference pictures. And she called me and said, hey, you know, Frank Morgan is coming in uh, to do a jam session with the guys that you want to come in. It's just going to be us and there are no other customers. And it's an opportunity to just kind of spend some time with them. And I know that you love jazz. So would you mind coming over? And of course, I jumped at the chance, went over and I was I'm sitting down with uh, the, the jazz owner. And so if you're familiar with uh, Caroline's Jazz Club, uh, that's who uh, gave me the call. And of course, I sat in the chair and I had my camera and Frank Morgan began to play with uh, the Paul Spencer band. And so uh, as I was raising my camera to take his picture, Frank Morgan would turn his back on me. <laughs> it's kind of like you pull, and I don't know if you've ever been to a concert of jazz, of uh, Miles Davis. Miles Davis used to turn his back on the audience when he played, and later on, when I found out that Miles Davis actually turned his back so people could focus on the music and not on him, mm. and so that's what I thought Frank Morgan was doing, but that's not what he was doing. Right? He was figuring like, oh, okay, who is who's this brother? <laughs> who's this photographer? And you know, taking my picture. I wasn't, you know, I didn't think I was coming here to be photographed by the press. Right. And so uh, in the break, they, uh, he and the club owner went to the back and that's what he was telling. It was like, what's that brother over taking pictures of me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so uh, after Carol explains, oh no, that's Matoba. He's always in here. He's an artist. You know, he, he does these uh, depictions of artists and musicians. And, uh, and then after that, you know, Frank Morgan came over and sat next to me and said, hey brother, I heard you. was." And then we went down this road and he was, <laughs> was all congratulatory. And, and before you know it, he was all in my face with the sax. Right, right. And, and so that picture that you see is a picture that I snapped in a very close up of him. And that's what was depicted in, in that poster. Outstanding. I mean, how do you even utilize talent that way? I mean, it's like right place, right time. You had to be born in Bronzeville yeah. for this all yeah. to kind of work out. Yeah. Uh, I'm a huge believer in full circle moments and yeah. kind of that completing of your gifts. So yeah. tell us a little bit about how the past and you being being born in Bronzeville is now you shaping the future of Bronzeville. Well, you know, the thing is, I would not have uh, known that the idea of having a Bronzeville connection early in my life would 
be also connected to our future or my personal future. Um, it all just so happened to be, I believe, ordained. And I just kind of look at it as a huge blessing to be, uh, as I mentioned before, a character witness and then have uh, be able to have the artistic skills to sort of uh, translate that into a visual image. And so, of course, uh, as uh, time would have it, you know, we I like to say that we make our own path. We don't follow one, especially when you're trying to be unique and when you're trying to do something very different. And we don't realize um, the path that we made until we are able to look back. And that's what I begin to to realize. But uh, as I continue to do the work and continue to carve the path forward, you know, this um, 21st century Bronzeville that we speak of um, was really ushered in through uh, the efforts of uh, our alderwoman, um, Malele Coggs, and a number of other what I consider city partners and uh, collaborators in the when you see um, Bronzeville become um, the, f- the future hub of arts and culture in Milwaukee. And so um, that led to an invitation that I received from, uh, from Della Wells uh, with some uh, interested parties, patrons and supporters of the arts came forth and wanted to create a, an African-American museum dedicated to African-American art with a huge focus on uh, the African uh, diaspora and, and African-American history. And so, of course, I was given the chance to work with uh, a board and the, uh, a number of people to help make that, that happen. And so um, that's where the beginnings of the Bronzeville Center for the Arts became institutional project for me. And uh, so now I am currently working as uh, the uh, marketing, community engagement, and program manager for Bronzeville Center for the Arts. So we will have (laughs) a a world-renowned, I mean, it's one thing to enjoy museums you know, in your city, but it's another thing to be excited to share with friends and family that come and visit you in the city. Like, look, this is something that Milwaukee has made and something that yes. Milwaukee will care for. So give us the details. When, you know, when does it open? How can we support? Um, what can we do right now to move the project forward? Well, in the, in the uh, present moment, what we're doing is just working with, uh, you know, the Martin Luther King bid. Uh, the Alder Woman, in the effort to uh, support Bronzeville Week. And so uh, what you will notice, if you look at the uh, Bronzeville Week calendar, uh, events centered around uh, Bronzeville Center for the Arts, uh, we are focusing on trying to engage uh, people right where they are. And uh, so um, uh, over, the, over this week, you'll see uh, Brad Anthony Bernard, who is another uh, friend of mine and, and uh, colleague, working with students from Mayad to do a a mural in real time so people uh, from the neighborhood could come out and see it a work in progress and uh, it's being painted live right in front of people uh, we're also leading up to towards the end of Bronzeville week the art walk where we're uh, providing a number of programs where we're bringing in the Marky Art Museum Coles van and they'll be doing workshops with with kids and adults um, also there is the uh, folks from uh, UWM uh, first year program and students there working with uh, Josie Osborne, who is the professor leading banner painting. Uh, these are activities that people can participate live. Also, we'll have uh, 
portraits done free of charge, uh, utilizing uh, three artists that uh, we're collaborating with, and that's uh, Jay Bird Sterling, uh, Tia Richardson, um, and uh, Omar in Saroma. They'll be doing portraits free on a first-come, first-served basis. And, uh, and then also we put together a tote bag that's got many, many things inside that tote bag. Uh, the tote bag has art adorning it, and that art was created by uh, Della Wells. And inside that tote bag, there's all kinds of goodies. And there's a long list of sponsors who, if you look at the tote bag on the back, that uh, are also uh, supporters of uh, Brownsville Center for the Arts. And so that's, we're doing all of that without having walls. So uh, as we are moving forward, we're looking to at some point uh, in the coming year to actually uh, break ground and have a brick and mortar facility where we'll be we'll able to uh, open up the doors and share activities with uh, the public uh, in the near future. So maybe sometime this time next year, we might actually have uh, that uh, initial planning gallery and uh, planning office and gallery ready uh, to be shared. Yeah. So that, that's about where we are without having to get into too many details. I'll make sure I uh, save my coin for my lifetime mm-hmm. membership uh, pass that I'll be needing to buy once that goes live. So we, again, yes. we appreciate everything that you're doing. My last question is this. Yes. When the history books are written 100 years from now, how do you mm-hmm. want people to remember Matope Johnson? Yeah, that's a very interesting uh, conversation, I think, to have and something to think about. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really humbly grateful to be um, able to, to do what I'm doing. So I, I have to, uh, you know, really give all the, the glory to, to God in terms of um, what may be said and what could be written. And the, the only thing that I could say is that uh, perhaps someone someday might be able to say that uh, here was a, a young man that lived his life utilizing the art as a uh, creative vehicle uh, to do some good. I take that. I take that. I appreciate that. And I'm positive history will write amazing things about you. So thank you for being a standard bearer, a legacy creator, and giving uh, the people of Milwaukee something positive to look forward to. I appreciate you so much, Ebony. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cream City Culture. Stay in the loop on all things Cream City Culture by following us on Instagram. Find info from our episodes in the show notes. Support Cream City Culture, the podcast, by subscribing or dropping a note at hello at creamcityculture.com. This podcast is for the culture, the Cream City Culture. <laughs>